Corinthians 9. I would turn there first, uh, but also stick your finger in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to read from there as well. Uh, but just for our reading this morning, uh, we're going to read just a small section of 1 Corinthians 9 and then flip over, okay? So beginning uh, in verse 3, Paul says, This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? And then if you'll flip over to to verse 19, he says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in, this, in its blessings. And then if you'll flip over to Philippians chapter 2, uh, this great Christ hymn that we know so well, uh, beginning in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is this yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, as we come now to your word, as we consider our own sinful natures, as we consider the things that we cling to in this world so tightly. Lord, may we see from Paul's example the way that we are to live the Christian life. But more than that, may we see from our Savior how we are to live the Christian life. Lord, it is only there that we find any basis for what you call us to do. Uh, and so, Lord, we ask now that you would make this passage live to us in a mighty way. Uh, Lord, our hearts are sinful. They are prone to wander, as we have already sang this morning, and they are especially prone to wander in this time. Our minds are distracted by a million different things. Lord, give us focus. Give us your word. Give us your Holy Spirit. Be pleased to meet with us so that we might say we have seen Jesus. We ask these things in his name. Amen. What about my rights? Well, it seems uh, that in 2022, uh, that that is so often the, the question that we hear from people on the news. Uh, it's the question that we hear, uh, especially on social media platforms. 
Uh, it may be the question that we hear in our own homes. If you have kids of varying ages, then at some point they're going to say something like, well, hey, that was mine, and he took it, or she took it, or I, I have the right to that thing. Uh, but maybe even more than all of that, this is the question that resides in our, own, in our own hearts over and over and over again, right? Whether we will admit to it or not, whether we ask it in this way, the question that we are constantly asking whether it is to someone else, whether it is to ourselves, or whether it is to God Almighty, is what about my rights? What about me? What do I get out of all of this? You know, over the past three or four years, uh, we have fought for our rights in politics. We have fought for our rights over COVID protocols. We have fought for our rights to to choose who and what we are, what we can do with our bodies and with our lives. Uh, We fight for our rights with our spouses. uh, And much like our children, we fight for our rights to to keep and to have those things that we cherish, right? Our homes, our stuff, our money, our bank accounts. We we want to to have all of our things. and, And by golly, we have a right to all of those things. Now, I don't want you to get me wrong here. As Americans, uh, there is a truth to that. Uh, many, many people, people I love, uh, have fought hard uh, to protect those rights. Uh, and to whatever degree we can protect basic human freedoms, we need to do that. Uh, so don't, don't hear me wrong uh, when I say these things. As we think about the situation in Ukraine right now, people are fighting for those rights. And we need to support them in fighting for those rights. That's not a political statement. That's just the reality. We need to fight for rights, okay? But having said that, uh, my, my issue today is not so much human rights in general. My issue is that little small word, my, my rights. How are we fighting for, for me? It's all about me, right? Our hearts, no matter how sanctified they may be, this side of heaven, they naturally want to turn inward, Like our first parents, we want to be little G gods, the only ruler of our lives. And so everybody better give us what's ours. It's really all about me. But uh, think back with me, if you can, uh, over our study of Luke. Now, there's been lots of themes that have come up over the course of these uh, almost year and a half, if you can believe that, that we've been in Luke. Lots of different things that we've seen. Uh, But one of the major themes that has reoccurred over and over and over again is what we saw last week is what does Jesus call us to? What what is the Christian life ultimately all about? It's about self-sacrifice, right? Remember last week he said you can give up all of these things. You can give up your wealth. You can give up the things that you cling to so tightly. You don't have to, to rest in it, not even your rights, Because as his people, we're living for a greater reality. We are living for all of eternity. Even back farther than that, and maybe a little bit more uncomfortably, right? He shows us that great parable of the Good Samaritan. We've seen that. And how we as God's people are called to sacrifice ourselves, not just for those who are here, not just for those that we like, But even for our enemies, we are called to give of ourselves, even to the point of hurting ourselves, because that's what God calls us to, right? That's what he calls us to in that great parable of the Good Samaritan. It's uncomfortable. 
But then finally, even more uncomfortable than that, Luke 10, you remember those words of Jesus. If anyone would come after me, must take up his cross daily. He must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow. Now, friends, the, the point is that in amongst all of that, there's very little room for self, right? There's very little room for me. Because God has promised to care for us, just as he cares for the sparrows, just as he cares for the ravens, because he's done that, we don't have to focus on our needs nearly as much as we once did, but we can look outward to the world. Now, let me ask you, as I said all of those things, they're true things. That's, again, I said this last week, but they're not my words, it's what Jesus has said to us. As I said those things, what, what's your heart doing? As I said, you can give up your stuff. As I said, you no longer have to live for yourself. As I said, we are are called to live for other people, even people we don't like. What's your heart doing? Well, if it's like mine, right now, it's looking for the loophole, right? It's looking for a way to say, yeah, I know Jesus has said that, but surely he didn't mean that person. Surely he didn't mean I have to give up that Surely, surely, he wants me to hold on to to a few of these things. Denying myself completely? That seems like a pretty extreme situation. Well, friends, this is the challenge that has faced us several times, and this time I didn't want to leave it. The, The challenge that faced us last week as we talked about giving up things for eternity is, is how do we practically live that out? How can we? As people who live in the world that we live in, who are so committed to our comfort and to our things and, and to building a bigger and better future for our families, how, how can we even begin to do what Jesus has called us to do? Well, what I want to submit to you is that here in these passages before us, first, Paul is going to give us an example from his own life. He's going to show us, given all that's happened with the Corinthians, he's going to show us how in his life and in his ministry, how he is sacrificing himself for the sake of others. He he is, to some degree or another, as much as a sinful man can, he is living out the Christian walk. And he wants them to see that example. But, really what I want you to see, and I hope you picked up on it as we were reading through 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Over and over and over again, what Paul is doing is saying the same things that he is saying in Philippians chapter 2. What Paul's life is representative of is something else. What he's doing is something else. And that something else is what you and I have to do if we're ever going to live the way that Christ calls us to live, okay? So that's what we want to think about this morning. First, let's turn back to 1 Corinthians and let's just see the, the situation that is unfolding there. You see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, just in the context. Uh, the, the problem is at Corinth, there are all of these pagan temples. And what happens is these pagan temples basically become butcher shops. They have to have all of these sacrifices. But once it's done, they, they sell the meat or they have these meals at these pagan temples. And what I want you to see here is that the the Christians in Corinth, they have done a pretty good job of rationalizing all of this out in their hearts in a way that Paul actually affirms that they are going and they are eating this meat 
And so they have submitted this question to Paul. What about this? Can we eat this meat that has been sacrificed to idols? But notice their logic in verses 4 through 6. First, they say, well, we know God is one, right? Deuteronomy 6, 4, the, the, the Shema of 6, 4, that's the, the words that they live by as Jews. God is one. Here, O, o people, the Lord is God, the Lord is your God, the Lord is one, right? So they say, all right, well, if God is one, if there's only one true God, then that means all of these sacrifices that are happening at these temples, they, they mean nothing. They're not actually any sacrifices to real gods, and so this meat is not really tainted at all. Surely we can eat it. And notice their logic to some degree or another is not bad. Paul in verse 4 says, Therefore, as to eating a food offered to idols, this is chapter 8, we know that an idol has no real existence. He affirms what they're saying. Uh, in verse 8, food will not commend us to God. We are not worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. So the, first, the Corinthians say, hey, we have a right to this. We're, we're free to, to eat this meat. Everything's great. But I want you to remember what Paul says in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 8 there. He says, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge, it puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Now the point that he's making there is, yes, you have this knowledge, and it to some degree or another is an accurate knowledge. But if it's divorced from love of other people, no longer is it a good knowledge. No longer is it doing you good, and no longer is it doing the people that you are, are giving this knowledge to any good. And he affirms that as he goes on down. He says in verse 7, after he has confirmed their argument, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Skip on down to, to verse 11. And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. That's a strong word. It's a strong word. You're, you're, this weak person is destroyed. The brother of whom Christ died. Again, his point is, is, is that as you eat this, yes, you have the right to eat this meat. But what it's doing is not do something to you, but it's also doing something to your brothers in Christ, right? It's causing them to stumble. And then verse 12, he says, not only that, but it's also really causing you to sin because you're sinning against your brother, wounding their conscience when, in weak, when it is weak, and you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Now, that's the context that we're dealing with here, right? The, the, the Corinthians, they have this right, and they say, look, I can do this, and it doesn't matter what else everybody else does. I'm going to do me, and they do them. And that what we say? I don't think you say it just exactly that way, but we say something like that these days. You do you, and I'll do me, and everything will be fine, right? Everybody will, will just get along about your own business. And Paul says, no, that doesn't work that way. What you do has an effect on these other people who are your brothers in Christ. And so you need to be careful. You need to let go of your rights for them. Now, he very easily could have just left it there, but he doesn't do that. 
Uh, he wants them to see that, that not only is he saying these things, but, but he practices what he preaches. Paul, Paul is doing this in his own life and especially in his ministry. Finally, to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, there in those first two verses, he asks these series of rhetorical questions. And they're rhetorical in the sense that they know the answer. The answer to them is yes. He says, am I not free? Yes, Paul is free. Am I not an apostle? Yes, he has seen the Lord Jesus Christ. Have I not seen Jesus? Our Lord, he says that. Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? In other words, did all of my work among you not lead to you coming to know Jesus as your Savior? Again, the answer is yes. He could claim all of these things. And having these things, it gave him a certain amount of rights. In verse 4, he had the right to food and drink from those he served. In verse 5, he has the right to take a believing wife, just as other apostles had done, just as other servants of the Lord had done. And in verse 6, he had the right to financial support. Here he gives us that great hermeneutical uh, kind of knowledge. He points back to the Old Testament law and says, if oxen are not muzzled while they are working, they can eat while they're working, how much more can a minister of the gospel, can he do that? How much more can I do that? His point here is I have rights. I have rights among you. But notice what Paul says about those rights beginning in verse 12. He says, I endure all things, anything, rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 15, but I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my grounds for boasting. And then in verse 19, we read it earlier. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. In short, Paul sets his rights aside. Why? Why? To the glory of God first, and then for the sake of others. Remember, we said last week, that, that is the Christian life. Glorified self-denial to God and then to others. Paul is doing that here. Now, flip over again, or you're there, at 19 through 23. Not only is this working out in his life, but it, it's worked out in his ministry too, right? He's willing to give up not only his rights, but he's willing to give up his culture. He's willing to give up Almost everything for the sake of the guy. He says, I become all things to all people. He, he even becomes weak for the sake of the weak. His culture, his context, his preferences. He's willing to adapt for the sake of other people. Now, we need to be careful here. He's not compromising the gospel, right? He's not, he's not giving up the truth of what he proclaims. He's willing to give up everything but that in order to win people to Jesus. And so he becomes, as we said, a Jew. He becomes one under the law. He becomes weak. He becomes all things. And so Paul gives us an example, an example to follow. And he's going to call Timothy and Titus, follow my example. And so again, we could leave it there. We could leave it at that and say, well, we need to follow the apostles. We need to do what they, they did. But my point today all of this long-winded way to get around to, to the passage that I really wanted to get to, 
which is Philippians chapter 2. Because in verse 19, Paul says, for, for though I am free, for all, free from all, what does he do? I have made myself a servant to all. How, how is it that he's doing this? What, what exactly is he following? Ben gave us those verses from 24 to 26, that, that he's disciplining his body. What's he disciplining it to? What's the goal here? Well, again, Philippians chapter 2. Friends, if anyone has ever had rights, it is this one before us. Before we get there, remember that, that this passage is a passage about humility. Paul here is speaking to the church, and he's saying, as you deal with one another, have this mind that is also in who? In Christ Jesus. Now, that's amazing enough, but then as he begins to unpack that, where does he go? He goes to the incarnation that we read about in question 22 of our catechism this morning that I said is a mystery beyond what we can comprehend, right? He says, have the mind that Jesus had when he existed as, as the form of God, right? He's the second person of the Trinity. He, he is eternal, the eternal son of God. He has always been. No one has more rights than him. Rights to his stuff, rights to his comfort, rights to be worshipped and praised, right to demand holiness from everyone around him. Rights to judge those who refuse. No one has more rights than Jesus. And yet in verse 6, what did he do? He existed in the form of God, but he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He, he didn't cling to his rights. He had them. They were his. And no one has ever had the right to them more than he did. But he didn't cling to them. Instead, he let them go. Well, he didn't completely let them go. He still existed as God. But, but by addition, by becoming man, he didn't cling to those rights, right? Again, he took the form of what? He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Again, I hesitate to, to leave this point. This is God in the flesh. This is the creator God. He becomes a servant. The, the word is slave. It's, it's the same word. For who? For you and I. For, for sinners. Not for righteous people. Not for good people. Not for people that he should have liked or loved or cared about one cent. But he becomes a servant for you and I. For sinners. Sinners like me. What, what an amazing truth. God Almighty, He humbles Himself. He serves others. He, he, he washes feet. He takes the towel off. You remember that in John chapter 13, right? He's obedient to, to people who are calling Him terrible names. People who are going to put Him on a cross. People are going to shove a crown of thorns on his head. People are going to stab him in the side. People who should have been his people 
They're going to utterly reject him. And at any moment, he could have said, this is enough of this. What about my rights? I'm God in the flesh. What about my rights? We're not going to do this. Yet that's not what he did. He didn't cling to his rights, but he stayed on that cross so that you and I today may have salvation. Again, what I want to submit to you today is that this, this truth, Philippians chapter 2, the, all of the gospel, truly, but this is the only basis for Paul's and for our self-sacrifice. If this is not true, then friends, there is no reason for us to sacrifice ourselves. There is no reason to look out for other people. The reality of the Bible is that it is true. And if it is true, then we have no other choice to give ourselves completely to him, which is number one. And then number two, do what he says, go and serve other people. Friends, we can now, as again we've been reminded, look to the author and finisher of our faith who has loved us so dearly, who now is our great example. Because he's so much more than that. He is our Savior. He is the basis for all we do in this life. But he is also the example that we follow. And so, by following him, we turn away from ourselves. And as I say that, I realize how, how crazy and difficult that is. We turn away from ourselves. We look to him And we look to others. Nothing will cause us to let go of our rights. Nothing will cause us to give up our things. Nothing will cause us to live for others. Nothing will cause us to live for eternity other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no other. Nothing. There's nothing that makes any sense outside of that. And so my question today is will you, before him, because of him, give up your rights? Will you give up your rights to love him more than you love yourself? Will you give up your rights to love others more than you love yourself? Will you do it by submitting to him all of your life? Romans chapter 12, submitting all that you have directly to Jesus in an act of worship. Will you trust in him today? As we pray together. Father, as we... Think about these ideas of self-denial, of giving up our rights. Lord, we don't want to do that. We want to cling to to our stuff. We want to cling to the things that that we think are rightfully ours. And yet you call us to to give up all things. Paul shows us that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, but he also shows us that even more clearly in Philippians chapter 2 shows us what our Savior has done for us. And so you call us to to take up our cross and follow after you. Uh, But Lord, the reality is, is without your work in us, without the Holy Spirit convicting us of this truth, without the Holy Spirit convicting us of eternity, without you changing our hearts from hearts of stone into hearts of flesh, none of this is even feasible. None of this is going to be done. And so now we, we bow before you. 
And we ask that you would work mightily in our midst. Lord, we want to be a church that, that is out changing, uh, seeing lives change through the ministry of the gospel. We want to be a church that, that is doing what you call us to do. We need you to lead us. We, we need you to show us. We need you to, to change our, our desires, what we lean on, what we look to, to value you more than we value anything else. And so, Lord, now I pray, I pray that, that you would start that work here. Work in us in a mighty way. Lord, always keep Jesus before our eyes. Or without him, again, none of this makes any sense. And yet, Father, in him, it makes all the sense in the world. So keep him before our eyes always. We ask all of these things in his name. Amen. Our closing hymn is hymn number 565. Stand and sing together.